And now if you would, turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44. Again, that is Mark chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 30 through 44. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? Mark 6, verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a boat to to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. And he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing, and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces. Of fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let us pray. Father, thank you for, again for this day. Thank you for your word, how it is eternal, and how it never ends. We thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy. We pray, Father, that you would help us to understand your word this morning. I pray that you would help me to speak your words and not mine. I pray that you would be with us now. By your Holy Spirit, make us look more like Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So I hope that anybody could look at me and realize that I'm not any, I'm not any longer a child. I do have a bit of facial hair, so I look a little bit not like a child anymore. And I'm a bit taller than I was when I was a kid. But one thing I didn't realize when I was a kid that I realize now is I used to be completely dependent on my parents. And I suspect that was the case for you as well. Now, whether it was needing your diapers changed, whether it was needing a kiss for a scraped knee or money to go to college, we were dependent on our parents for just about everything. And something that we didn't notice then, but we really should now, is childhood was a pretty freeing time for us. We were able to run around, for most of us, we were able to run around, be free to pretend to be our favorite heroes and our favorite stories, doing whatever we really wanted as children. Because we didn't have to worry about paying the bills. We didn't have to worry about our nine to five. Because we were dependent on our parents. In the same way, this morning we'll see that as disciples of Christ, we are to be dependent on Christ as we go through this life. So we'll see that disciples depend on time with Christ on the compassion of Christ, and on the provision of Christ. First, in our passage, we see the disciples depend on time 
with Christ. Look with me at verses 30 through 32. So the disciples, they're returning from a trip that they were sent on by Christ. If you turn back to verse 7 in Mark chapter 6, you see that Jesus had sent out the disciples two by two in the surrounding villages in Israel to heal the sick and to cast out demons. Essentially, the disciples were sent out on this evangelistic preaching tour. They were supposed to go around spreading the fame of Christ. They were told to stay in the homes that would receive them, and they were told to leave and duck and dust off the dust from their feet of the houses that rejected them. Their mission, again, was to spread the fame of Jesus Christ. And this is what they are returning back from in verse 30. Now, just like anyone that takes a business trip, when you come home, you talk to the man in charge. You talk to the person in charge, and you tell them how it went. So they return to Jesus, and they tell them all that they had done and taught. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us what they taught. It doesn't give us a record of what they said, but we do know, and we can assume that their message is, Jesus is the Messiah, he has come, repent and believe in him. Because that is what Jesus' own message was. So they've been busy about the work of caring for people's souls that Jesus sent them to. We also know from Matthew 10 that it's not an easy job. They don't have this easy road ahead of them whenever Jesus sends them out. Christ tells them that they should expect persecution in the villages and the towns. He says it's so bad that he's sending them out in verse 16 as sheep amidst wolves in Matthew chapter 10. But even in the midst of that persecution, even in the midst of being sheep amongst wolves, they, they, face great, they have great success in their mission. Look at verse 31. Mark tells us that there is so many coming and going that they don't have leisure to even eat. Even when the disciples come back, they're still at work. There's so many people that they can't stop and eat. Have you ever worked through lunch? You gotten so busy, so wrapped up in what you were doing that you forgot to stop and eat. I know I have. It, it happens in seminary when I write papers. I just keep going and keep going and keep going, and I realize about 3 o'clock I'm starving, and I need something to eat. And I, realize, and I also know I usually eat too much at dinner when I get home because I'm so hungry. And that's probably how the disciples felt. They come to Jesus, and they are tired. They are hungry, and they are in need of much-deserved rest. And Jesus understands that. Look at verse 31 again. Jesus tells them to come away to a desolate place. That's very important. Jesus is surrounded by all these people, and he tells them, come away and be with me by yourself. Again, we saw in verse 31 that many were coming and going, so much that the disciples don't have time to sit down and eat. We know from Jesus' own teaching ministry and the successful tour of the disciples, Jesus' popularity is at an all-time high. We know that there are at least 5,000 people that are trying to get close to Jesus. They want to be healed by Jesus. They want to be taught by Jesus. They want to touch Jesus. They want to be near him. These are people that need to be ministered to. They need the gospel. They need diseases healed. They need demons cast out. And instead of telling the disciples, go teach them, go heal them, go feed them, he says something that seems counterintuitive. And he says, come away with me by yourselves. Why? That seems like Jesus is missing a great opportunity. There are 5,000 people to talk to, 5,000 people to give the gospel to. The reason why Jesus does this is because disciples need time alone 
with their Savior. We need time alone with Christ. It's not because people are unimportant and that we should ignore them and forget about them. It's not that we should neglect the mission that we have to spread the gospel to the people around us and to our nation. The point that Jesus is making is that this mission that we are on is not one that can take place of our time with Christ. One commentator, he put it the best. He says, The life of a disciple is not only a mission for Jesus, but but also a mission with Jesus. There are times that we can get so busy trying to live the Christian life that we can actually forget the one that we're trying to live for. We can forget to stop and be with Jesus. See, Christianity is about living this life with Christ. The blessedness of being a Christian is that you and I are united to Jesus. By the Holy Spirit, we can be with him and talk to him and be near him. That's why, the, that's why Jesus tells the disciples to come out with him to a desolate place. Now, the Judean wilderness, it's not a desert. A lot of the times, I know I, I used to think of it as a desert, but it's, it's a very lush and a rich place. You can live out there on your own. We know from the Gospels earlier in Mark and, and in the other Gospels, John the Baptist, in fact, lives out in the Judean wilderness. He lives off of locusts and wild honey. So you're able to live out there. It's not probably the easiest existence, but you're able to be out there. There's something deeper going on when Jesus tells the disciples to come away to a desolate place. In the Old Testament, when the prophets are going to meet with God, they go out to the wilderness. They go out to the desolate places. They go away from everyone else. If you go back and you read about Moses, Samuel, Elijah, Elisha, any of the prophets, when they go out into the wilderness, it's signaling they're about to meet God. The wilderness, again, is the place where you meet with God. It's the place where people expected to hear from the Lord, and Jesus knows that. Jesus is taking them away from the distractions of this world so that they can hear God speak to them through Christ. Now, I'm not saying that you have to go climb Crowder's Mountain or something so that you can hear from God. You don't. Rather, I'm saying that the place that the Holy Spirit speaks to us the best is when we're alone from the distractions of this world. And we are with the Lord, the Word, we're with the Lord through His Word and prayer. We're able to do exactly what the disciples did when they were with Jesus. We can find a place without anybody else. We can speak to Jesus through prayer, and we can listen to Him teach us through the Bible. That's why God gives us prayer. That's why He gives us the Scripture, so that we can commune with Him, so that we can have a real relationship with God. When was the last time we were alone, without your TV on, without your phone, without Facebook up or music playing or or whatever it is? When was the last time we were alone? See, solitude in our world today seems like this weird and foreign concept. It might have been for monks years ago, but it's not for me. But that's what Jesus is telling us, that we need times of solitude to just be alone and be with Christ. We need to make a habit of being alone with Jesus every day. Of being with him so that we're able to accomplish this mission in our daily lives. So, as I think all of you know, Caroline and I got married like four months ago. Tomorrow, I think is right. I hope it's right. Uh, But four months ago, we got married. And the first thing you do when you get married is you leave. You go on a vacation. It's called the honeymoon. 
And, you know, you do a whole bunch of stuff. You do all this stuff alone. And then, when you come home, people ask you three questions. They ask you, what did you do? Where did, uh, what did you see? And what was your favorite part? Now, answering the first two questions is actually pretty easy. We can just say, oh, you know, we went to the Florida Keys. We can show all these pictures. This is all that we saw. This is all that we did. It's Really, those are the easy questions to answer. Now, the last one, it's not that it's a hard question to answer, but you might sound rude when you give your answer. Because the answer is, there was no one there but me and Caroline. There was no one calling me. There was no one texting me. There was no one talking to me. It was just me and Caroline. We could go do whatever we wanted, whenever we wanted. It was a time for me and her to just be alone, just like many of you have had. Well, it's the same way with Christ. We need special and unique time alone, away from everybody, with just Christ. That's how we build our relationship with him. We have to make time for Jesus. There are hundreds of distractions in our world today. There are hundreds of things that pull you a thousand different directions. We need to take time to set our phone in the other room, to turn off the TV, shut down the computer, turn off everything, and just be alone with Jesus. Look at your schedule. Examine the times that you're not doing much or that you're not doing anything of great importance. And we should spend some of that time with Christ. We should set aside this special and unique time. You see, we can work ourselves so much that we neglect the health of our own soul. And you are not good to anyone with an anemic and unhealthy relationship with Christ. We need that healthy and unique time with him. Yes, the Lord can use us no matter what, but he uses us at our best whenever we are spending time alone with him. Now, I'm not saying that a daily devotional has to be this time of great awakening every time that you open up the scripture. See, relationships, as you well know, are not built on emotional flashpoints of highs whenever crises happen. It's built on, it's built on strategic time, just going through life, living life together, going through struggles, sharing love. That's how relationships are built. It's no, it's no different with our triune relational God. That's how we build a relationship with him. So we see that we depend on time with Christ, and secondly, we depend on the compassion of Christ. Look at verses 33 to 34. So Jesus and the disciples are traveling in a boat and to get someplace where they can be alone by themselves. But they are thwarted by the curiosity of the crowd. We see that they're on the Sea of Galilee, and they must not have crossed it because it would have taken a couple days. So they probably went from one corner to the other. So the people are able to see them. They either have some idea where Jesus and the disciples are going, or they can watch them as they sail across the lake. And they beat Jesus and the disciples there. So there's something to be learned here as well. A lot of the times, you're going, to spend time, you're going to try to spend time alone with Christ. A lot of the times, you're going to set time aside. And then, boom, reality pops through the door. And you, what you thought might be longer was actually about five minutes. But the point is, God works through his word no matter how long you read it. That's the beauty of God's word. The Holy Spirit uses the word of God no matter how long you read it, no matter how deeply you can dive into it, to make you look more like Jesus. Yes, we should have a strong devotional life. But what I'm saying is, if you try and things get in the way, 
God's not mad. He wants you to try hard, but he understands, and he works through his word. So they come ashore, and Jesus sees the great crowd, and he says to them, and what we see in verse 34 is that he has compassion on them. And that word for compassion is only used twice in the New Testament, and it's only used of Jesus. And here's what it means. It means to be moved in your bowels. And that sounds really weird. And the reason why it does is because the Jews saw that their seat of emotion was their bowels, their gut. It's the, it's the same thing if you said, I felt that in my heart. We say that because we think our emotions live right here. The point is this. Jesus is deeply moved with affection and compassion for these people. He sees that these people are like sheep without a shepherd, and he doesn't have this superficial compassion on them. He doesn't just feel bad for them. He deeply cares about them. In the deepest part of his soul, he loves these people. Now, it's interesting that they're called sheep without a shepherd. That's used a lot in the Bible. It's used in the Old Testament. It's used in the New Testament. And a lot of the times, we get this idea that sheep are dumb or they're just not very intelligent. But that's not really the idea that they're going for. The, what the, what the, uh, the authors are trying to say is that these people, like sheep without a shepherd, they have no leadership and they are without protection. In ancient Israel, if a sheep was without uh, a shepherd, any predator could have come and taken the sheep away. Anybody could have come and stolen the sheep away. They needed a shepherd. They have to be groomed by their shepherd because wool can grow into their eyes and they can't see anything but about two feet in front of them and that's what they follow. They need a shepherd to care for them. See, it's the shepherd that defends the sheep with his rod. It's the shepherd that draws a sheep back into the flock with his staff. It's the shepherd that knocks away predators. It's the shepherd that leads them to pastures to graze in, to water to drink, and a safe place to sleep for the night. We're the ones that have left the guidance of the shepherd. We're the ones that have run off from the flock. And we desperately need to depend on the compassion of Christ to bring us home. And that is what he gives us. It is empathy from a divine heart of love that reaches out and brings us back into the fold. He he feeds us. He gives us spiritual water. And he protects us from Satan himself. Jesus is our compassionate shepherd. But see, Jesus doesn't just have compassion on people. His compassion drives him to action. We see in other Gospels that he actually does heal the people that are sick. He does cast out demons. He does all those things. But that's not what Mark chooses to focus on. Look at verse 34. We're told that Christ in his compassion began to teach them many things. Jesus knows that these people are without spiritual leadership. They have no one to guide them. He knows that no one is teaching them the word of God, especially not rightly. The only spiritual leaders they have are the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. All of them are legalistic or liberal. They're not good for the people of Israel. So our Lord teaches them many things about himself. Mark doesn't really tell us what he teaches, but John chapter 6 does. In John chapter 6, verse 35, it says this, that Christ told them that he is the bread of life. Whoever comes to him would never hunger and would never thirst again. He teaches them the gospel. He teaches them about himself. And Christ hasn't changed. He's the same today. Again, when you and I are wandering around and we need a compassionate Savior, he comes and gives us himself. He gives us the gospel. 
See, we have to depend on the compassion of Christ because that's what we celebrated last week. It's Christ's compassion that moves him to die on the cross. It's Christ's compassion that moves him to rise again for our justification. That's the point. Jesus, in his great compassion, loves you and me so much that not only does he die for us and not only does he rise again, but he guides us through this life. He loves you. He has not not made anything where you had to go through anything alone. There's no situation in your life that you are not with Christ because he is with you in all things. So, uh, again, my wife has a lot of really great skills. I will contend to my dying day that she is smarter than me. She is very, very smart. She's got, like, a master's degree, honors college. She's a genius. But she also is a skilled artist and a skilled counselor. And I'm saying this with permission. But one skill my wife does not have is a sense of direction. I love her, but she would get lost. And if Caroline doesn't have a GPS when we go on trips, I don't know where we're going to end up. We could end up anywhere except where we're going to go. She needs something to guide her, to show her where to go, to show her how to get there. Same way with us. We go through this life, and we need something to guide us. And that something is a someone, and that's Christ. We need him. We also need to stop thinking that we know where we're going. We need to stop thinking that we can figure all this out without any help. When you're trying to figure out how to make ends meet, what, what career you want, where are you going to go to college, whatever it is, insert the thing here. When you're trying to figure that out, the best option is to lean on Christ's compassion, to lean on a shepherd that wants to guide you. Again, we're not alone in this world. He promised that he wouldn't leave us as orphans. He would give us his spirit. He kept that promise. You have the spirit right now living inside you to guide you throughout this whole life. So what do you do when situations mount and your life seems like it's crumbling? Do you run to other things or do you run to Christ? Do you pacify those things or do you run to the Lord? Like I said, he has not abandoned you to handle anything from the smallest thing to the greatest thing on your own. He has promised to be with you. He has promised to help you and to bring you through those things. We should throw ourselves on a compassionate Savior that has come to lead us in this life through to the life to come. So, we see that disciples depend on time with Christ. They depend on the compassion of Christ. And lastly, they depend on the provision of Christ. Now let's look at verses 35 through 44. So Christ and the disciples, they come, to, they come ashore and they see the great crowds. Jesus teaches them and then... The, the disciples bring a problem to Jesus. They realize that it's beginning to get dark, that the people are getting hungry and they need something to eat. So they make a suggestion because they are concerned about the people. In verse 36, they tell Jesus that, they, that he should send the people away into the villages to buy food for themselves. That there is no markets, it's a desolate place, and these people need something to eat. This should remind you of something. It should remind you of Moses leading the people of Israel through the promised land, through to the promised land. They were in a place where there was no food and there was a problem because everybody was hungry and everybody was complaining. It should show us that something big is about to happen. So again, Jesus answers the disciples by telling them, you give them something to eat. Imagine that. You have 5,000 hungry people staring at you and Jesus says, 
Y'all got it. You take care of it. It seems like all the weight is on the disciples' shoulders. So they quickly come up with a response, and they say, in verse 30, in verse 37, they say, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? Now, a denarii, that's a day's wage. So this is 200 days worth of pay. Think about how much you make in 200 days. That's what we're talking about. And the disciples say, Should we go and buy bread and bring it back out here to them? Is that what you want us to do, Jesus? Again, seems like a reasonable thing. And they, like Moses before them, are trying to figure out a way to feed all of these people. They do everything but ask Christ to provide for them. So look at verse 38. Again, it seems like everything is resting on the disciples' shoulders, but we see that everything is really resting on the shoulders of Christ. He asks them, how many loaves do they have? And they tell him, five loaves and two fish. We know from the other Gospels that this is a child's bag lunch that he brought on the trip. Now these loaves, when we think of a loaf, we think about something like that big. That's not what they had. This was a smaller loaf, about like a Twinkie. And these uh, fish are small and they're salted. Think of a sardine. So they got five Twinkies and two sardines. And that's what they give to Jesus. Again, it's a bag lunch. And they say, well, this, is this going to feed 5,000 people? Because this is all we got. And then Jesus tells them to arrange the people in hundreds and fifties. He does this because it's manageable and because Moses did it before him. So they're sitting there waiting for food, just like the people of Israel. We're sitting there waiting for the manna from heaven. So in verse 41, Christ blesses the meal and he continually makes more and more and more for the people. I don't know how he did it. I don't know. What, I don't know how he did that, but I do know that he did it because he is God. Through Jesus' creative power, through Jesus' power of being God, he makes five Twinkies and two sardines feed 5,000 people. And that's amazing. That's the kind of power that Jesus has. They're in a desperate situation, and Jesus instantly fulfills the need. He takes care of his people. And then we read verses 42 through 44. Look at verse 42 because I think it might be the best sentence in the entire passage. It says, and they all ate and were satisfied. That word means full, to the complete, wanting nothing. Think Thanksgiving dinner right after you've done eating. You don't want anything else. That's how these people are. They don't have this morsel. They don't have a snack. They have a feast and they are full. They're treated to a feast prepared by the Son of God that looks forward to the feast we have with God in heaven. You see, Christ does not just fill up, up a little bit of our needs. He takes care of all of our needs in this life and to come. He takes care of all of your needs, both physical and spiritual. We walk through this world and we crave something to satisfy us the way that Christ does. We long for something to fill us up and want nothing. And then we look for a whole host of things to do it. We look to money, to friends, to status, whatever it is, all of that has an expiration date. It all runs out, except for Christ. He is the only one that can declare the end from the beginning. He has no end, but everything we try to sate ourselves with does. That's why we have to turn to Christ. 
And look at verse 43. It says, They took up twelve baskets full and of the fish. So not only are they full and they have no want of anything, but they have leftovers. Jesus doesn't just take care of you today, right now. He takes care of you tomorrow, next week, and on into eternity. Christ is all that we need. He is our all and all. After 5,000 people have eaten, and they're satisfied, they have enough to fill up 12 baskets. Again, Jesus fulfills the promises to Israel. He is the Messiah that has come to die for us and to be raised again and to care for us and provide for us in this life. Beloved, if Christ can feed 5,000 people with two Twinkies, or five Twinkies and two fish, he can take care of every need you have in this life and every need that you have in the life to come. George Mueller was a missionary in Bristol, England. Now, he was a caretaker of an orphanage. And he has an amazing story of depending on the provision of Christ. This is his story. One morning, all the plates and the cups and the bowls and the table, they're empty. The pantry is empty. There's nothing to eat for all these young children in the orphanage. And they're standing there, and they're stand, staring at George Mueller. And he says, children, we know that you have to be on time for school. So let us pray and thank God for what he's about to give us to eat. And this was his prayer. He said, Dear Father, we thank thee for what thou art going to give us to eat. And then there's a knock at the door. And that's the baker. And he says, Mr. Mueller, I couldn't sleep last night. Somehow I felt that you didn't have bread for breakfast and that the Lord wanted me to send you some. So I got up at 2 a.m. and baked some fresh bread and have brought it. Mr. Mueller thanked the baker, and no sooner had he left, the milkman was at the door. His cart was broken down at the the road, and he needed to unload all of those cans of milk that he had. So he says, I want to give these cans of milk to the orphans so that I can fix my cart. They had nothing, and in one instance, they had everything that they needed because George Mueller depended on the provision of Christ. So too. We are to depend on him in faith to take care of everything that we need. This week, as you struggle with doubts, this week as your budget runs tighter and you don't know how you're going to get through the emotional pain that you have, look to the heavens. Christ has come to provide for all of those things. He has come to be with us in everything. He does not cause us to want. He has all that we need. What idols do we cling to? What idols do we hold out that they will take care of us? They will all go away, and they will all fade. There is only one that can save us from the deepest pit of emotional pain and suffering, and that is Christ. He satisfies all of our needs. So this morning we are left with a choice. Will we be disciples that depend on Christ for everything that we need, or will we go through this life trying to, to be our own God, and trying to satisfy everything that we need. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.